0: Chapter 2.
1: And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, my life from the pit.
0: Let's pray. Father, you are such a a great God and you're worthy of all our praise. Just as we lift our voices in song together today to praise you, we now want to praise you with the reading of your precious word and with the preaching that relies on the power of your word and hearing with hearts that discern the evils of the world but are like clay in your hands to be molded today a little more like Christ. As we work today through this story of surrender would you help us all to be actively surrendering all of our being to you today? Lord we need you. We need to be transformed by your word. I pray that that would not just be In thought, not just be an aspiration, but that will be with all of our life. There will be nothing today that would be not submitted to you, because that is for our good and your glory. We would praise you for that, in Jesus' name, Amen. Be seated. been walking through Jonah for the past three weeks. This is the fourth week and we're moving uh, from the end of chapter one, that last verse, which really should be in chapter two, uh, through chapter two today. And so if you randomly asked someone who had just a, a basic knowledge of the Bible and had, about the story of Jonah Just to recount, just to paraphrase that story You probably get something like uh, You get things like the the command from God For Jonah to go to Nineveh And Jonah running down to the ship To go down to Tarshish And getting on the ship And going down into the ship And then the storm And then the reluct- the working out of that The reluctant throwing Jonah overboard and then the fish swallows Jonah, and then three days later, the fish spits Jonah out. But what we have in this chapter today is, is an interruption in that process. Um, it's it's, it's the, those first nine verses of chapter two, this interruption, it's a, a time out of sorts, it's, it's a, a redirection of Jonah's life. And that time out in his life. Is critical. It's essential to what God is doing here today. And so, just a moment of self-reflection here at the beginning today. Have you ever had one of these timeouts that God has inserted into your life? Something that you did not see coming that, that totally disrupt you when, when everything was going wrong. And if I did have to put this passage into a sentence today, I'd say something like this, that God's relentless and passionate pursuit of his children would often painfully interrupt our disobedience and cause us to turn to him. He's our sure and only hope. So what does this kind of unfl- unfolding pursuit uh, tell us about God? I think, I think in this, this chapter, chapter 2, in uh, verse 17 of chapter 1, we can see three things today. One is, is God's provision, his providence at work in providing in different ways, and really just how particular his provision is. When we think about God's providence, sometimes we think big and broad. We think God is, we say things like this, God is working all things out for his, for his glory and for our good. you probably heard that today. I say that a lot, a lot of other pastors do. Uh, we see this big picture where God is, yes, he's working all of this out. But, but Jonah's story is going to remind us how detailed God's actions are in working in our lives. Uh, so the fish, this is what a lot of people want to talk about is just this fish when it comes to this story. And it is something to talk about, but it's not the main point, certainly of this, this text today or of the book of Jonah, The fish was an answer to Jonah's prayer as he was sinking. Chapter 2, verse 1, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, which is not the belly of the fish, but in the sinking to the depths of life, he's going to the bottom, and he's crying out to God to save him. And God provides. It's not the provision probably that Jonah would have drawn up if he could have, but in that moment, he's just crying out to God to save him. And that is how God provides. So it's once to see, um, that God had already provided in that last verse of chapter one, God had already provided this fish. It says he appointed the fish. And yet later on, Jonah is praying for provision. So there's something there about how God is already providing but he's working our prayers in conjunction with that but what about this fish and and this again the sermon is not going to be to defend the historicity or the actuality of this fish the word of god stands on itself but here's a couple of things to consider from a a couple of different perspectives in 1958 there was a uh, a submarine called the, the Nautilus that was constructed it was a nuclear submarine and on August the 1st, that submarine left Anchorage, Alaska and went underneath the, uh, the Arctic ice cap that was up to 50 feet thick at points. And so this submarine was underwater under an ice cap for uh, the better part of five days. So just think about that a moment. Here are creatures People who are created beings by almighty God who have constructed such a vessel that would do something like that. I can tell you other stories about that, but the thing is, it's not that that story makes us go, wow, isn't that amazing? Because we're used to that. We're used to uh, the technological developments and the abilities of mankind. But that's the whole point. We don't blink an eye at something like this. So, So what makes us even begin to doubt that the creator of everything could do such a thing as to, to bring this fish along to swallow Jonah and that Jonah could stay alive in the belly of that fish for three days. Nothing. God is not bound by the laws of nature. He's certainly not bound by the abilities that we are as his creatures. Here's something else that I wanted to... Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus talks about this passage about the, about Jonah Matthew chapter 12 I'm going to begin in verse 36 Jesus says then some of the scribes and pharisees answering him saying answer him saying teacher we wish to see a sign from you but he answered them an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of solomon and behold something greater than solomon is here so jesus is pointing to jonah the historical jonah the the, the story that we're reading today as a sign of his coming he's pointing back to it. end of story so th- that's a couple of things about this fish and so uh, a couple of other, other notes about provision and providence here. You see this all throughout this text. Verse 3, uh, Jonah, in the, in the latter part of verse 3, he, he's talking to God about his torment, and he says, All your waves, your billows passed over me. It's Jonah's acknowledgment that in a negative way, God is in control and orchestrating everything. Jonah recognized that God was not allowing but causing this interruption in his life. Then in verse 10, the last verse, and we'll come back to this a little bit later in our conclusion, but the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. His providence in the timing of everything that happens, down to the smallest detail at the end of this interruption. So God's provision is something that we see in this story. A second thing is, is this astounding patience in the story of Jonah that we see. In the Hebrew language, in poetry, instead of rhyming, things are, are paralleled in thoughts. Look particularly in verse 1 and 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, and here goes a little bit of poetry. Uh, I, would, I would be just like Matthew said, I'm not... Poetry is not a genre that I'm that I'm drawn to, or that uh, I have any expertise in. But we see some things here. It's beautiful. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and He answered me. He restates it. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and You heard my voice. For You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. Here's another way of saying it. Repeating. All Your waves and Your billows passed over me. He's painting this visual word picture of what was going on. So I want you to note this, that, that we, we know that there were other contemporary prophets. There were other prophets besides Jonah around during this day. We know that Hosea and Amos, during the, the reign of King Jeroboam, they were prophesying. And so you might think that when Jonah... When God said, Arise and go to Nineveh, and Jonah arose and fled toward Tarsus, you might think God would say something like, Next man up. He gone. But no, he would have been just in doing that. And if we're honest, most of us, all of us, most certainly at times in our life, would say, He would be just in doing that with us. Let him go. But he didn't do that. He doesn't give up on Jonah. He's not obligated in any way, but yet he persists in this patient pursuit of this man. And here's what's going to happen. God is is working out his purposes. Jonah, uh, God is peeling back these layers of sinfulness, exposing them in his life through this interruption. And He's going to use Jonah to show some patience imperfectly to the Ninevites. In Jonah four later on, Jonah quotes to God his words from Exodus chapters thirty-four, verses six and seven, which say, "The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity." and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. That's, you hear those words, for, uh, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. That word transgression, the CSB tran, uh, translates that word rebellion. It has the, the thought of pushing back, running away from God. And that's the perfect description of where Jonah is right here in this interruption. He's he's at the bottom part of running away from God. And so when God delivers him from this through his patient love, later on, Jonah with the Ninevites is going to have no other option but to reflect back on this patient love that God has shown him in the middle of his rebellion. So Jonah ran because he said they don't deserve it. And in the back of his mind, when we all have this tendency, Jonah was playing the gauge game. And what he was saying is, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as them. And somehow, maybe I deserve it, and they don't deserve it. Don't we do the same? Don't we do the same in our world, in our Twitter and Facebook and social media and news everywhere, don't we see things and say, I'm not as bad as those people. I'm not as bad as ISIS. I'm not as bad as people who are addicted to drugs. I'm not as bad as molesters. And yet, we are as bad because all of our lives are tainted with sin. Every part of them. So, I want you to listen to me today. And I want want to say this lovingly. You and I, we're we're worse than we think we are. You are. I am. We're more sinful than we think. And we really see this brought home in chapter 4 later on. Because God is going to get to the depths of Jonah's sinfulness. He started peeling it back here. But there's more. And it's just another sign of his patience. But God is more loving, more merciful. He's more compassionate than we could ever imagine. And so that gives us hope, even in light of the fact that we're worse than we think we are. And it's when we understand this through our our sinking to Sheol experiences, that we we don't deserve God's salvation, that the, the barriers of our life begin to come down. That's why we have these interruptions. That's why we have this, I'm running from God, but I'm pretending like I'm not running from God, and God interrupts my life. It's so that we can see we have barriers that we put up that keep us from showing his love to the world, and he's He's tearing them down through his steadfast love for us like he did Jonah. It's by the power of the gospel. The gospel saves, but the the gospel also transforms us. And so so what about you today? I want to ask myself, what about me today? Do, do you feel like maybe you're sinking? Do you feel like you're sinking alone? See, Jonah, when he's calling out to the Lord out of his distress, it's not because he's captured in the belly of this whale. It's because he's sinking to what he sees as a, a certain death, the depths of the earth. Everything is closing in around him to where he feels like, it's bars. Have you been there? Maybe you're there today. But what I want to to tell you is this is not a a sign of God's condemnation. It's a sign of his love for you because he wants to interrupt you, to redirect some of the paths of your life and to expose sin that may be exposed no other way. His patience is, is sufficient. So I talked to a man this week who said he moved to Tupelo several years ago. And what he told me was that he basically came here to die. He was at his he was at the bottom. He had hit rock bottom. And what he shared with me was until he got to that point where he felt like he was on at the bottom, God could not really work in his life. And at that moment, he did. And he began to transform him and to show him some things that were in his life that needed to be uh, repented of, confessed and repented of. And God began to grow him. And now he has a vital growing relationship. But that wasn't going to happen until he hit bottom. The worst thing that God could do for you is to let you go on about the way you want to go on sometimes. It's the worst thing he could do. And so when you have interruptions in your life that cause you anguish and and you feel like God's presence has left you, but really it's God's presence working in your life, even though it doesn't feel natural in those moments, those are the moments that we should do like Jonah does here and turn and praise God, thank him, thank him for his interruptions, his painful interruptions in our life. It's God's astounding patience. God's provision, God's patience, and then God's, God's steadfast presence. And we see that uh, especially in verses 3 through 7. In the middle of Jonah's running away, God was beside him all the way. He didn't feel like that, I'm sure. This moment, he feels all along God's promise to his children. And a promise that's based on his character, not on our obedience, is that he will never leave us nor forsake us. But it doesn't always feel like that. It feels like anything but. So at this point, Jonah still hasn't repented. Verses 1 and 2, there's this overview of what has happened. But I want you to look particularly with me at verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and in the... And the flood surrounded me. This is the moment where Jonah really hits bottom. I want to tell you why. Look back with me in verse in chapter one. Excuse me. You hear a lot of these things where things are being tossed, hurled. is the way the ESV puts it. Verse four: The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. The Lord brings the storm. That's a first interruption. Uh, and then later on, verse five, they hurled the cargo. the the the, the sailors they're throwing the stuff overboard to try to uh, to rectify the situation somehow. Look down, at verse twelve, and he said to them, "Pick me up and hurl me into the sea." So they're throwing Jonah into the water, and then the sea will quiet down for you. It's almost like he's he has reached a point of resolution where. I know if this happens, I'm probably going to die, but that's the best thing. I'm, I'm at that point. Verse 15 of chapter 1. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. They reluctantly throw him into the water. And as Jonah said, the sea ceased from its raging. But if you look at verse 3 in chapter 2, for you cast me down into the deep. It's a different word. It's a different word in the Hebrew. It's it's the same word that the psalmist used in chapter 51 when the psalmist cries out to God, cast me not away from your presence. Cast is a word of judgment, of banishment. And so the psalmist is saying, don't drive me out. Discipline me, God, but don't take me out of your presence. And so in verse 3 here, you see what Jonah is saying. You have banished me. In the depths of his soul, he feels like he truly has been separated from God. And in that moment, he's come to a realization as to what that means. The hopelessness of what it means to not be in fellowship with God. So we know that Jonah was not forever lost, but but he sure felt like it. And you've probably heard this old saying before uh, in evangelism circles, You gotta get them lost before you get them saved. I'm not really crazy about that. Because we don't save people, but I want to tell you, before there can be uh, someone can come to faith in Christ, they've got to know that they're lost without Christ. And before we can grow in Christ, we've got to take off this facade that we're running from God sometimes. And it can feel like, it can feel like we're separated. So God does the saving we don't but no one turns to Christ or turns back to God without the realization of what it means to be separated from God. It's a taste of hell is what it is because that is what hell will be like a, a permanent separation from God and suffering. Psalms 102:10 says for you have taken me up to the taking me up and you have thrown me down and it continues to get worse from this. Verse four, then he said, I am driven away from your sight. And then comes the turning point, this this beginning of repentance. So at first, there's seemingly nothing more terrifying than these waves and billows. And Jonah has resolved himself to this, but then comes this terrifying realization that he's been banished from God's sight. He feels the pain of separation. You may be saying, well, yeah, but isn't that, what he wanted? I mean God told him go to Nineveh and he went the other way trying to get away from God. That's what he thought he wanted. Jonah didn't realize the impact of what it means to be banished from God. So, sometimes we run from God. We have a tendency to run from God. We realize that not that we've lost our salvation, but that that God is is letting us sink. This is his tough love, it's this, the, the, the tough love side of God, and we want him just to make things better, but what he wants to do is to rid us from, from some sin in our life that's caused us to, to run from him and to transform us. So this is right in the middle of verse 4. There's this turning point. He says, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The temple. Jonah begins to turn back to God. And where does he go with his words? Where does he go? He goes to the temple. This is where I'm going to turn back to God. This is such a beautiful picture of the gospel because in the temple, this is what Jonah was pointing at. In the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant contained the Ten Commandments, the the statement of the righteousness and the holiness of God. And so on the Ark of the Covenant was a gold seat, a gold plate, and then a mercy seat. And the mercy seat was where the sacrificial blood of the Lamb on the Day of Atonement was was sprinkled. A sacrificial blood of the spotless Lamb was placed as a sacrifice for the sons of Man. So Jonah knew this. He had no doubt offered sacrifices through priests over the years. And so, what Jonah is saying here is that my only hope is in the blood of that sacrificial lamb and obedience and faith to God. And that not only is it my only hope, but it's, it's my sure hope the sin of the blood of the lamb. So, Jonah says, I've hit bottom. I've come to the end of myself. I've done all that I can do, and there's nothing there but emptiness. And yet, God is there. God is there. Did did, Go, did Jonah understand everything that he was saying about what God was going to do through Jesus the Messiah? No, he didn't. But he knew the same grace and faith that Paul wrote about to the Ephesians. Chapter two, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. My hope is in the sacrifice, in the blood of the lamb. And he's pointing us ahead our Savior, our only hope, our sure hope. And so God is using him for that. Now look, look again uh, at verse seven. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. There it is again, into your holy temple. He says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered, I remembered the Lord. See, so here's what remembered means biblically. Remember to me means something I, have more trouble with these days. I don't know if you're like me, but that's what I did. Uh, I have trouble calling my children by the right name sometimes. But the biblical understanding of remembrance was to to act on this basis of commitment. This is Jonah's repentance. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to act on a renewed commitment to you. In the Old Testament, when God talks about remembrance, when when we hear about God remembering Then God remembered what God is saying is he's about to deliver his people from the hands of his enemy. He's about to act on behalf of his people out of his graciousness. In the New Testament, on the cross, Jesus is beside the two criminals, the two people who deserve to be there while he does not. And one of them looks at him and what does he say? Remember me. What does a criminal mean by that? Does he mean, hey, recall in your mind, hanging with me here on the cross? No, he's crying out to Jesus to act on his behalf. So he's crying out in faith. But when we use this phrase of man, it implies this this renewal of devotion. Jonah's devotion to God because of God's gracious patience and perseverance and of his pursuit of him, his devotion is renewed. We take communion the first Sunday of, of every month. We'll do that here in a couple of weeks. And what did Jesus say? He says, when you do this, just do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of me. What is Jesus saying? Not, he's not saying just remember some things intellectually about me. Recall some things. That's part of it. It's what we do, but it's it's much more than that. He's saying, act on my behalf. It implies this renewal of devotion. Do this in remembrance of me. It's more than intellectual. Jesus, we're, uh, we're renewing our devotion to him, and we're demonstrating our love for him. That's what he's commanded us to do. When Jonah says, I remember the Lord, he's renewing his devotion to God. More bluntly, you know what Jonah's saying? I surrender. He's giving all of himself to God in this moment anew. you. And I thank God that we can do that because you know what? We're gonna see later on, this is not, and they lived happily ever after. Jonah and just like you and I are gonna need that aspect of God's love that says his mercies are new every day. This is life with God. Growing like Christ, a constant remembering, a constant renewing of our devotion through confession and repentance. So, just as we close today, just a couple of things in verse ten. This is Jonah. Uh, excuse me. The Lord spoke to the fish. I want you to notice this theme of what's going on here in the book of Jonah. Everything is under God's command. The storm the wind, the fish. Chapter 4, we're going to see the plant is under God's command. The worm is under God's command. The hot wind from the desert, they're all under God's command, and they all obey God without question. Except for this prophet Jonah. All immediately obey him, except for this man. Even all the prophets, except Jonah, are obeying God, and yet God does not give up on Jonah. He pursues him. And here's why a just God and a holy God can do that. Here's why he can do that. Flip a couple of pages to your right, to Micah chapter seven. I want you to look in verse 19. Micah says, he will again have compassion on us He will tread our iniquities underfoot. And then he turns to God and says, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. There's that word cast again. You will banish our sins into the depths of the sea. So here's why God can do that. Have this persevering love because when he looks at his children, he's looking through the lens of Jesus because Our sins have been put on this Jesus, our sacrificial lamb on the cross. I think sometimes we grow indifferent to that magnificent truth. We don't realize the great work that God has done. And... Because of that, not only the salvation that it gives us, that we will live with God forever, but the power that we have of the Holy Spirit living in our lives because your sin and my sin have been cast upon God, and now God has cast them into the depths of the ocean. Do we get that today? Well, how do we respond to this? I don't like I want to make this personal and I want to tell uh, the Lord I, I don't like talking about myself a lot but I just want to share just a little bit. Um, about a decade or so ago uh, God was calling me. He was calling me. Uh, I was doing my thing in life. I had a plan. I was working it out and God gave me a call and I ran from that call. I'm just going to be very transparent with you this morning. But he pursued me patiently. So I identified with what Jonah is saying. And I wasn't cast into an ocean. I wasn't in the belly of a fish for three days. But I felt the bars closing in. I got to the point where it felt like I hit bottom. God was there. And he's faithful. And he's so patient and loving. And I don't know where you find yourself today. But I want to tell you that God is faithful. And you may feel like your world is coming apart. But really what's happening is God is doing something glorious in your life. And wherever you are, the the, the thing is... Turn to Him. Repent to Him. Turn to Him in faith. Or maybe today you're in a situation where you really may know a little. You may have heard the story because it's one of the most well known stories of God's Word, but you don't know this God. You're trying to work things out on yourself, for yourself. And He tells you if you turn to Him, He has accomplished everything through Christ. He has become the sacrifice for your sins. If you ret- repent, confess, and repent, and turn to him, and put your faith in Christ, He will save you. You can be running from God, and it not look anything like Jonah. You can be running in plain sight. It may look to everyone in this room like everything in your life is good, but God's given you a direction to go in, and you're running from it. You're putting things up. You're putting up a facade. If that's you today, this is what I would confess, I would encourage you to do, to call upon Yahweh, call upon this one true living God, to hope in Christ. He tells us in verse 8 and 9, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy, when I fall. I, excuse me. He tells me in verse 8 and 9, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord is what Jonah is saying. And so he's pointing back to his experience with the the sailors on the ship who were worshiping their idols. And then they began to worship the true God because these idols were of no good. He's probably thinking ahead He said, okay, God, I've surrendered. I will. He knows he's going to some Ninevites who are wicked, but who are also idol worshipers. I want to tell you, we create idols too. We have idols all around us. And we should put our hope in Christ because salvation comes from God. It comes from nothing else. And then thirdly, I would say to you to actively surrender. When when Jonah says, okay, God, I surrender, it doesn't mean I'm gonna go home and read my Bible. It means, yes, I'm gonna stay in your word, but I'm going to go and proclaim hope in Christ. Go and proclaim the true message that our only hope is in God. And all of us, whether he's calling you to ministry or whether he is calling you to ministry in your home or your workplace. All of us are on assignment. All of us are on assignment. Are you faithful in your assignment today? Are you doing what God's called you to do? Be honest with yourself. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for uh, such a vivid, colorful story that, that gives us much to hang on to, but but I pray, Lord, that we would never be caught up in the the secondary details of the story of Jonah. Lord, let us make much of your passionate pursuit of people who are not deserving of your pursuit. Say often, you ran toward us when we were running away from you that was because of Christ. Thank you so much for what you've done in Christ. And so I pray today that your word would would plow the depths of our heart and, and just like you did in the life of Jonah, that it would expose areas where we are saying, no, God, I want to do it my way pray today that we would be quick and eager to confess those sins and repent and turn to you and find joy in that. Lord, I pray for people today who are really suffering, feeling like their world is closing in on them, feeling like the bars are all around them. Some of them, it may be very obvious. Some of them it may not be obvious at all but you know our hearts. Would you show people who are feeling hopeless that we have a sure hope in Christ? Would you cause them by the power of your spirit to turn to you in that hope? And we give you all the glory for that. In the name of Jesus, amen. Church, let's stand as we sing in response to what God has said today.